When I began sitting with this text, I felt compelled to examine the context in which Jesus would say that someone who gave only a penny could be designated as a greater giver than those who had given large sums of money. This compelling nudge took me back first to re-examine last week's lectionary lesson, then back to chapter 11 and the remainder of chapter 12. What I discovered was in chapter 11, we found Jesus cursing a fig tree that was not producing and cleansing the temple of money changers who were exploiting worshipers. And as a fallback to killing him at that time, angry chief priests tried to discredit him by questioning his authority. So chapter 12 opens with Jesus offering a rebuttal to their questions, not by answering the questions, but by telling a parable about wicked tenants who refused to give to the owner of the vineyard his share of the crop at harvest time. And when Jesus was done telling that parable, the temple leaders, even more angered than before, fired more questions, questions about who should be paying taxes, about marriage, and about the resurrection, and on and on, until one of the scribes, knowingly or unknowingly, asked the most meaningful of all the questions, which commandment is the first of all? And unlike his response to the other questions, Jesus answered this question directly. The first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Giving the scribe more than he had asked for, Jesus offers this caveat. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe, obviously hearing the truth of what Jesus had said, answered in reply, You are right, teacher. God is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as self, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now John Gill in his expository commentary tells us that to say this is more than all whole burnt offering and sacrifices is to say these two commandments are more excellent in nature, more acceptable to God and more useful among humankind than all the rituals of the ceremonial law, than any sacrifice whatsoever. And I would venture to say that to hear these two commandments in a way that transforms our lives is to hear the message of God's love, the message that Joel preached about last week. And it is also to hear the invitation to hold back nothing from God. When we hold back nothing from God, we are not like the fig tree that didn't produce, or the money changers who explored others, or the wicked servants who refused to give to the owners their fair share. Hold back nothing from God.
The scribe heard this message. And Jesus responds to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So there's no wonder that today's gospel lesson would open with beware of the scribes. And to be bridged to last week's lesson with three verses that are not included in our lectionary reading. For verses 35 through 37 read, While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be a son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. After warning his disciples to be critical thinkers, Jesus gets to ask his own questions. And understanding that those who had been questioning him were those who clearly saw their religious life as observance of the rituals of the law and the traditions of the elders, Jesus did not fail to see that they were also those who neglected the duties of the moral law. For them, institutional ceremonies and human inventions took precedence over their love and respect for God and their neighbor. So when Jesus asked, how can the scribes call the Messiah, the son of David, let us understand that Jesus was not trying to disrupt their genealogy. Rather, he was calling attention to their ideology. Thus, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at the banquet. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearances say long prayers. Jesus was doing what we invited the participants of our clergy convocation this year to do, and that is to bridge the gap between preaching and practice. Thus, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, watching as the crowd put money into the treasury. And in today's vernacular, we would say that Jesus was watching to see who was willing to put their mouth, put their money where their mouth is. For many rich people put in large sums. But this poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which are worth a penny. So Jesus calls his disciples to him and he says to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who, are, who have given to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So in demystifying the authority of the scribal class of his day, Jesus is helping us to see that if we're going to be his followers in this 21st century, we must still pay attention to what this poor widow has to offer. And I would venture to say that if the Shema is going to be alive in us, 
We too must hold back nothing from God. We too must totally surrender our lives to God, our mind, our heart, our strength, and not just a part of ourselves, but all of ourselves. And if we're going to receive all that God has for us, if we're going to make a difference in this life, if we're going to make an impact in the world around us, we must give it all to Jesus. And we must know that we don't have to seek to do big and grand things to make an impact with God or for God. God sees what this world does not see. God sees what this world overlooks. And we must know that what we wear or where we sit does not matter how much of ourselves we have given over to God, nor the impact we will make in this life. We must know that the length of our prayers does not determine the intimacy of our relationship with our God. Ultimately, when God looks at the practical ways in which we live a life of love and surrender, the amount you give is less important to God than the amount you're holding back. To be the disciple that our Lord is calling for, we must hold back nothing from our God. And perhaps you can hear in the scripture what I heard as I considered the message for us tonight. I heard that Jesus is calling for what Jesus has always called for, full surrender. And if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Jesus saw the treasurer then as he sees it now. How we give is a direct reflection of the internal reality of our heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This woman's giving would be considered an act of foolishness to many. And while Jesus does not condemn the large gifts of the wealthy people, Jesus sees this woman's offering as even larger. He saw her giving as an act of faith, no holding back, a heart in which the Shema was alive and well, a perception based not on the amount that she gave, but on what she had left. And whether it's our money, our talents, or our time, God knows how tempting it would be for those who see themselves as having a little of nothing, not to give at all, saying things like, this little bit I have won't make a difference. So they resolve to let those who have plenty be the givers. What are you holding back? Are you only willing to give from abundance? Why are you holding back? We know all too well that everything we hold back from God 
is exactly what separates us from God. And let me just say that in God, when you're holding back nothing, everything is yours. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, confirms for us in a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So to live the life that God has planned for us, we need only to, to wave the flag of surrender and dance the dance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the dance of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a dance to a very radical beat. To the world we may look like fools, but it is best for us to dance this dance. It is a dance of sacrifice, a dance of selfishness, selflessness a beat of forgiveness, and more than anything else, it is a beat of love and grace and joy. So the world may call us fools, especially when we offer our friendships to the poor, the lonely, the childless, or the widow. The world may very well call us fools when we visit nursing homes or prepare and deliver a meal to someone recovering from surgery. The world may very well call us fools as we spend valuable time volunteering at hospitals or serving lunch in a soup kitchen or visiting someone in prison or working in a homeless shelter. The world may call you fool when you offer love and forgiveness to your enemies or give the shirt off your back to a stranger. The world may call you foolish when you give sacrificially and consistently to churches and nonprofits. When we love with the love of God, that self-expending love, without inhibitions, without restraints, and without reservations, we will surely be called fools. And inevitably, we would experience pain. And as I was thinking about the fact that we often experience pain when we love this way, I was reminded of a song by Goth Brooks, and there's a line in that song that says, I could have missed the pain, but I would have had to miss the dance. So let us dance. Let us dance like David danced. Dance without, without holding back anything. And dance until God has used us to impact this world. Hold back nothing. Hold back nothing from our God. Amen.